Okay, Matthew chapter number 13. Matthew chapter 13 is where we're going to be. And uh, last week we kind of skipped ahead just a little bit for the sake of Father's Day, and we uh, looked at a good father. We saw uh, Jairus and his daughter, which uh, was sick and at the point of death, and he would do anything within his power, anything that he could to take care of his family, to provide for his family. But he had limits. There was only so much he could do. And so that led him to Christ, led him to put his uh, trust, his dependence in Christ, because he was only able to do so much. And whenever he came to Christ, Christ was able to uh, to heal his daughter, not just of sickness, but to bring her back from the dead. And so uh, we see the importance as a parent for us that we know Christ, that we're walking with Christ, because though we love our families, we have our limitations, and God loves our families more than we do. And he doesn't have the limitations that we have. And so in order to raise children, especially in this world that we're in today, we need to have a relationship with God. We need to make sure that we are walking with God, and we need to do everything within our power and our ability to lead our children to Christ as well, because they are going to need him throughout their entire lives. So we saw that last week. But before uh, before that, we skipped ahead. We were looking at one of Jesus' parables. We saw as he was teaching on the parable uh, of the sower that went out to sow seed, and the seed fell on different ground. And we saw that the seed was the word of God, the good news of the kingdom, and uh, the the results of the seed going out, the results that came was dependent on the condition of the the hearts, on the ground on which the seed fell. And so for us as Christians, we need to cultivate in our hearts. We need to do a work in our hearts and prepare it to receive God's word. We need to prepare it to receive what he has for us so that it is able to be fruitful, so it's able to multiply and bring forth fruit in our lives. Because if we allow it to get rocky or hardened or other things to creep in and choke it out, we're going to become unfruitful. So we need to do that work at uh, preparing and cultivating our hearts so that we can be fruitful. Today what we're going to be doing is we're going to continue in Jesus' parables, and we're going to be uh, looking at several different parables connected with the kingdom, uh, the kingdom of God. And it's going to show us that in the days which we live in, that God is at work, that he has plans, that there are things that uh, he is doing, and that nothing that's going on in this world today has caught him off guard, has caught him by surprise, and he's known it all from the beginning. Because as we look around the world today, we see that the world is in chaos, that there is corruption everywhere, there's all kinds of things going on, and the world will look at the condition of mankind and either use it as a proof that somehow God doesn't exist, or they will use it as an indictment against him and against his goodness and say, if God does exist, why does he allow all of these things to happen? As we look in these parables today, it's going to answer some of these questions, and it's going to show us God's preview, kind of his, uh, give us some insight in what he is doing down through the ages And it's going to give us also some encouragement, knowing that he is in control, that he knows what he's doing. And no matter how out of control the world seems, it is not. It is firmly within his grasp, and he already knows the end from the beginning. And not only is it going to give us some encouragement, it's also going to give us some caution as well, 
Because whenever we understand some of the things that are in the world, some of the things that are going on, we're going to know what to watch out for. Okay, so that's our plan. That's our desire today as we look at this. So let's look at Matthew chapter 13. And I will apologize ahead of time. I'm planning on reading a fairly lengthy passage of scripture. So if you'll follow along with me, bear with me. Uh, Matthew 13, verse number 24. It says, Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servant of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles, and burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is become, or it is the greatest among herbs, and becometh a tree, so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. Another parable spake he unto them, The kingdom of heaven is like unto eleven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, till the whole was leavened. All these things spake Jesus unto the multitude in parables, and without a parable spake he not unto them that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. But the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world. And the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and them which do iniquity, and cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth, then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath and buyeth that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who when he hath found one, found one pearl of great price, went and sold all he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind, which when it was full, they drew it to shore and sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but cast the bad away. So shall it be at the end of the world. The angel shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. So, let us go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer, and we're going to dive into these parables and see what we can get from them. 
Dear Lord, we come to you once more. Just thank you for your blessings. We thank you for your word, Lord, and for the way that you've instructed us, the way that you've laid so many truths before us, Lord, and help us as we dive into them today to glean from it exactly what we need, Lord. Help us to gain the encouragement, the insight, and the cautions that we see uh, in these scriptures, Lord. And Lord, I just pray you be with your people, do the work that's needed. If anyone here doesn't know you as their Savior, I pray that today would be the day that they would call upon you and trust you before it's everlasting, eternally too late. And we thank you for all that you do and all you're going to do. Help me now as I preach, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So as we look at this passage, we repeatedly see the words, Kingdom of Heaven. We repeatedly see the words, Kingdom of Heaven. Jesus is revealing something to his disciples. They have been seeking all along, the Jews have been seeking all along, for the Lord to come, for the Messiah to come, and to rule and to reign in a physical earthly kingdom, right? This is what they've been seeking after. But Jesus is revealing to them the nature of his kingdom and how it's going to transpire down through the ages. And so we get kind of a bit of a preview of this. But before we dive into this any further, I want us to understand just a little bit this idea of a kingdom, okay? For there to be a kingdom, there needs to be a territory, and there needs to be a king to reign over it. That's simple, isn't it? Yeah. Hard to be a king if you don't have a kingdom. Hard to be a kingdom without a king. It goes hand in hand, right? And so the kingdom is the realm over which the king has reign, over which he rules. And so today, in the day and hour which we live in, Obviously, Jesus is not reigning and ruling over this earth. We know that Satan is the prince and the power of the air, that he is the God of this world that has blinded the eyes of many people. And so at this time, the kingdom of heaven is manifest in this earth through God's children. And so it is those who are allowing God to rule and to reign in their heart. It is the, the church of God in this world. The body of Christ is his kingdom. He is the head. We are the body. He is the king. We are his kingdom. That's simple enough, isn't it? Yeah. And so he is reigning, he is ruling in this world today. We could say that his kingdom more broadly would encompass the angels, the host of heavens, and all these different things. Whenever Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray, he said, uh, pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven, right? Mm -hmm. And so he is reigning amongst men today for those who will accept him, trust him, allow him. That's what's going on today. And so he says, I'm giving you an idea of what my kingdom is like. And the first first uh, parable that we find here is the parable of the wheat and of the tares. And he says, my kingdom is like a field. And the master, the owner of the field has taken and sowed good seed into his field. And at night, the enemy of the master comes and sows tares into the field and they spring up together. And in this passage, what we're finding here, he, he goes on to define it. We read over that. But in this passage, what we're finding here is that there are two different types of seed, two different types of plant, and wheat and tares. Anyone familiar with what a tare is? A tare is essentially a counterfeit wheat. It grows up with a similar stalk. It grows up with similar characteristics. And a tear looks like a stalk of wheat until, until the seed comes to the top, until the, the kernels of grain form, and then the tares are unfruitful. Mm -hmm. The tares are going to resemble the wheat until you are able to take a good look at the, the fruit that they produce. Mm -hmm. And then you can see the difference between the two of those. 
And so he says the enemy has sowed these tares amongst the wheat. And so what we're finding here is in Christ's kingdom, in the kingdom in which we are a part of today, if you are a child of God, that there is an enemy that is sowing tares amongst the wheat, that there are counterfeits amongst the Christians. Mm -hmm. And that shouldn't surprise us today that there are many false believers, there are many fakes and phonies and hypocrites, even within those who claim the name of Christ. And so if we look at all of professing Christendom today, there are plenty of people who claim the name of Jesus, but many of those do the most damage to his name because just because they are a professor doesn't mean they are a possessor. There is a such thing as being a wheat, and there is also the tares that are amongst them. And so if we look amongst Christendom today, it shouldn't surprise us whenever those who profess the name of Christ are doing wicked and abominable things and still claiming his name because Satan has sown tares mm -hmm. amongst the wheat. Yeah. And even as he is teaching this at this time, you have to figure that there was Judas <coughs> setting amongst the disciples a tear amongst the wheat, Right? And so you see this going on in this passage. And so the enemy has his counterfeits that he sows. And the only way to spot them, the only way to figure out which are which, is whenever their fruits are manifest. And the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter number 7 and verse 20. And I want to go ahead and read, turn back there so I don't butcher the verses. But Matthew chapter 7 and verse 20. I'll go back to verse number 19. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he which doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity." And so in this passage, we find Jesus saying plainly that there are going to be many tares that think themselves to be wheat. There are going to be many who uh, present themselves as wheat. And in the end, he says, I never knew them. They are workers of iniquity. They are uh, seeds that have been sown by the enemy. And they are growing up alongside of the, uh, alongside of the wheat in the same garden mm -hmm. with the wheat. And we look at his servants here and what their response is to this news that there is tares amongst the wheat. And the servants say, shall we go and root out the tares? Shall we go out there and pluck them up, gather up the tares so that all of these, uh, these counterfeit stocks are done away with? Because as we look in the world today and we know that there are counterfeits within Christianity, there are many people who present themselves to be of Christ and they are not. And we say, God, why do you allow this to continue? Why don't you purify your church? Why don't you do something about it? Why don't you point them out as fakes and as phonies and as false? Whenever the world looks on and they see the, the body of Christ so fragmented and all the different denominations and different agreements and disagreements and all of these things that are going on, and the world says, of all of these that are out here, which one is the true one, right? Because there are so many differences amongst them. And I'm not saying just because people have some differences or different beliefs or different denominations that they're, they're right or wrong or whichever, but here's the thing, that there is an enemy that has sown tares amongst the wheat, and he chooses not to root those tares out. He allows them to coexist for them to continue alongside of his wheat until the day of the harvest. 
And then he is going to sort it all out. Mm -hmm. And so why does he tell his reapers, or not his reapers, the ones that are sowing, the ones that are cultivating his fields, why does he tell them not to pluck them out? He says, if we root out the tares, it will also cause harm to the wheat. And so for this time being, he allows them to exist side by side because if God would purge and purify and get rid of the tares from amongst the believers today, it would also cause harm to his believers. Yeah. Right? And so he says, I'm allowing it for a time. I'm allowing the, the false to stay with the true for the sake of those who truly believe, for those who truly follow. I'm allowing the tares to exist because of the needs of the wheat. And that shows God's love and his wisdom and his concern for his children because he says, if I would go out and cause judgment to fall upon all the false preachers and false professors and all these things, then it would harm Christianity in general. It would harm my church. And so I'm going to allow it to continue. And then at the end, I'm going to take care of it. So what do we do? What as a result of this information that Jesus is giving, what do we take away from this? Well, if you are wheat, first thing you need to do is make sure that you are a wheat and not a tear. Mm -hmm. Okay? Make your calling and election sure. The Bible says to examine ourselves to make sure that we're in the faith because some will be deceived. These guys that stood before the judgment, they said, did we not do all of these great things in your name? And here's one thing about it. It's not what you do. It's what he has done. Okay? And if you think that your works and the things that you have done and all this is reason enough for you to be... Uh, one of his children, for you to be a wheat, here's the deal. It is not about the works that you have done, but it is about Christ. It is about the good shepherd. It is about the master of the house that sowed the good seed, okay? And so make sure that you're wheat. The second thing that we find in this is it's not our job to root out the tares. Because honestly, that would be a never-ending job. That would be a never-ending a battle for us if we go out and we try to figure out everyone who is true and who is false, try to find all the hypocrites and the phonies, that is not our place. And if we do that, we are going to destroy the church. Yeah. If we make it our job. But it does tell us that we are to examine works. We are to examine the fruits of them and figure out those that we're going to uh, associate with. Those are we will learn from it. It's not for us to correct them, for us to fix them, but we are to take notice of the fact that they exist and act accordingly. And so at the end of the day, make sure that you are a wheat and not a tear and focus on bearing fruit. Isn't that what the wheat does? The wheat's not concerned about the tear. The wheat's not concerned about all these. The wheat is there to produce fruit. It's there to produce the seed, okay? And so that is the parable of the wheat and the tear. Don't be surprised whenever there are counterfeits amongst Christianity produce fruit, and allow Christ to be the one who sorts it all out. Right. He'll take care of it in the end. The second parable that we read was the parable of the mustard seed. And the mustard seed being one of the smallest seeds that they knew about at the time, maybe one of the smallest seeds, I don't know, of the, all the plants that they were sowing. But that little tiny mustard seed, whenever it was planted into the ground, it says that it became a great tree. It became a, a large herb, a large bush that could be somewhere around the, the, the area of five or six meters tall. A great big plant from a, such a small seed. And what Jesus is teaching about his kingdom in this parable is not only is there going to be some tares amongst the wheat, but he says, whenever I plant this 
kingdom, whenever I get this thing started, whenever I found my church, it's going to start off small. Jesus just had his 12 disciples, right? Yeah. It's going to start off small and quickly it is going to grow. It's going to expand. It's going to become a huge living organism, right? The church isn't an organization. It is an organism. It's going to become a huge living organism in a fast rate. We've been seeing that in our study in, in Acts, right? You have the, the day of Pentecost and you start out with 120 in the upper room, then thousands getting saved. And not long after that, more thousands getting saved and added to the church daily, such as should be saved. And then they're scattered abroad and everywhere they're going, they're carrying the gospel and there are people being saved. Now we're all the way out in Antioch and in Samaria and all these other regions. And within Paul's lifetime, the gospel spread throughout Europe and Asia in one lifetime. And since then, it has went around the world till there's very few places around this globe that the gospel hasn't reached. And so that little mustard seed that started out so small has become a huge tree over the earth here. But in this huge tree, as it started small with this handful and it quickly became large and far-reaching, this fast and extensive growth was noticed by the birds of the air that found a way that they could lodge amongst its branches. If you want an idea of what the birds of the air is, all you have to do is look back in uh, verse number 4 of chapter 13, and you find that the seed that fell by the wayside was quickly devoured by the, the birds of the air, right? We find many different times in Scripture that the birds of the air are those who devour, are those who destroy those who consume, right? They are compared with emissaries of Satan, uh, of workers for him, doing his work. And here we find that Satan's workers, his dirty birds, if you will, have found a home in the branches of God's kingdom. And as you look through God's kingdom today, there have been many... Uh, there have been many profane preachers who have found their way into the branches of God's kingdom. They have worked their way in. They're not part of the kingdom because a bird is not part of a mustard tree, is it? No. They're not part of his kingdom, but they are finding a place to roost in the branches, make their nest in the branches. And what do birds do in a tree such as a mustard tree? They consume. They destroy and so if you've ever had crops, if you've ever had anything that brought forth seed and produced fruit, the birds are your enemy because they consume of the fruit and they destroy and harm the health of that tree. And so the second truth is not just the wheat amongst the tares, but we find that there are profane preachers in the church. There are false prophets, there are false teachers that are going to find a home in the church. And there are so many people today, so many of these charlatans and these false teachers that have come about seeking a refuge, seeking a place to land and to, to make a home in amongst God's people, destroying and corrupting and devouring. And no one pays too much attention to it. You look at all the different false teachers and these different groups that exist today and heresies that are being taught and Jesus predicted it. Jesus told that it was going to happen. He says, my church is going to grow fast and there's going to be some vulture that's going to come and land on that thing and try to mess all over it. And that's what's happening today. 
And so for us as Christians, we need to take notice, not just that there is going to be uh, counterfeits amongst Christianity, there's going to be some of these profane preachers, and we take note of it and not listen to just anyone and everyone. Paul uh, exhorts the Bereans, he can, he uh, uh, commends the Bereans and says that they search the scriptures daily to make sure the things that he was saying lined up with the word of God. They knew the truth. They studied out the truth. And they were not just willing to flippantly listen to any guy coming and going, but they said, what is he saying? Does it line up with Scripture? And if it lines up with Scripture, then praise the Lord. He's of God. And if it doesn't, he is a buzzard in the tree of God. Okay? And we need to stay away from that guy. And so in the day of YouTube theologians, and in the day where there are televangelists and Benny Hens and Joel Osteens and all these other guys that are out there, we need to be aware and know that there are buzzards in God's tree. And we need to be careful that we don't come under any of those, that we are good Bereans and we are sorting through the scriptures and we are comparing the truth of God with the things that are being said and making sure and holding these guys accountable so that we are not following after every wind of doctrine that comes down the pike. Because Jesus warned ahead of time that not everyone who proclaims my name is of me, not everyone who's built their nest in my tree was sent by me, not all of them are going to be teaching truth, and so we need to be aware of what's going on. We need to be paying attention. The Bible tells us, and this is a verse that seems to keep coming out, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. That means that we need to be paying attention. We need to have our eyes open, not just blindly following the newest guy or the newest fad or whoever has a following on TikTok. We need to be making sure that whatever we are listening to is rooted and grounded on the Word of God, and it is up to each and every one of us to be familiar with the Scripture and don't let anyone else do your thinking for you, and that includes me. Yes. <laughs> Paul tells the Romans in Romans chapter 16 and verse 17 that they were to mark those which cause divisions and offenses contrary to doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. This idea of marking them, it doesn't mean to literally put a mark on them. <laughs> Go around as God's paintball man. <laughs> we'll mark them. But anyway... Whenever it says to mark him, we go back to the Old Testament, get an idea of what this means. Whenever Hannah was in the temple praying, Eli marked her mouth. Y'all remember that passage? Yes. And he thinks that she's drunk, but what it was is he was paying attention. He was noticing. He was trying to discern. He did it wrong. (laughs) But if we're marking those amongst us that are teaching things contrary to the doctrine which we have learned, then we are paying attention, we are discerning, we are sorting these things out, and then we are to avoid them and say, okay, that guy does not line up with Scripture, so I'm not listening to what he has to say. Uh Simple as that, right? Because Jesus has warned us ahead of time that it's going to happen. Not every prophet is a prophet of God. Not every professor is a possessor. In the third one that we find here, we find the parable of the leaven and the loaf. And so there is a, a lump of wheat here that is being made into a loaf of bread. And it says that there is a woman who comes and she hides, hides leaven in the three measures of wheat that is there in that, uh, in that loaf. And as she's doing that, some would 
Some would try to say that this is a picture of the gospel, that the leaven is the gospel going into the lump, which is the world, and permeating the entire world. But there's a couple problems with that. For one thing, the gospel has not permeated the entire world. But the main thing is, is that we find in Scripture that leaven is a picture of sin. That leaven, whenever something is leavened, that it causes fermentation. It causes corruption. It causes a breakdown, which produces gases. And those gases in that loaf of bread causes that loaf of bread to rise up and become fluffy. And for bread, if you like bread, then that's a good thing, right? You don't want a little flat cracker, I guess is what it would be without the leavening. But it is a corrupting process. It is a, a breaking down process here. And this is why that leaven is often equated to sin because of how it corrupts. And whenever leaven gets into something, it continues to grow and grow and grow and grow until it affects the entire thing, right? And so this is what happens. The Bible tells us a little leaven leavens the whole lump. You allow a little bit of sin in your life. You don't get it taken care of. It's going to continue growing. It's going to continue increasing in your life until there's not a part of your life that it doesn't affect, right? But in this, we're talking about the kingdom of God, right? And so what does Jesus define this leaven as being? Jesus tells his disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And it goes on to define it. The leaven of the Pharisees was their doctrine, their false doctrine which they were teaching. And so he tells them to beware that you don't allow their false teachings, their doctrine to creep in your midst, to creep in your mind, to affect yourself, your walk with God, or the church which you're a part of. Beware of their leaven because of its permeating uh, nature. And so as we see this here, we see this woman hides this leaven in amongst this good lump of dough, and it goes through and permeates the entire thing and affects the entire lump of dough. Another type that we find in Scripture is not just leaven, but oftentimes this woman that we find in Scripture, and I'm sorry all you ladies, okay, but we find typology in Scripture here, and what we find is oftentimes this woman is going to be a type of a false prophet. It's going to be a type of a false one entering in, such as all of the cautions throughout the, uh, throughout the Proverbs about the woman who is deceitful. And we find even another example. We find the warnings of the false teachers within the, uh, within the epistles that were written. There were those that were uh, of the, the same mind in the same uh, way as Jezebel, right? that were coming in, the spirit of Jezebel coming in amongst them. And then we come all the way up in the book of Revelation, I think it's uh, chapter number 17, that once again you have the woman who ascends, the one who is uh, drunken with the blood of the saints in Revelation chapter 17. You see this happening. And so this woman has put a little bit of leaven into the lump, a little bit of leaven within the kingdom of God, and it starts its work of permeating and going throughout the entire kingdom, working to corrupt God's kingdom. And we find that playing out today that not only are there counterfeit Christians within his kingdom, not only are there these perverse preachers within his kingdom, there is also all of this deadly doctrine that has entered in as well. And if you will, now this might be uh, taking it might be taking a little bit far. You all be the decider on this. 
But as we look at Revelation chapter 17 and 6, this woman that was drunken on the blood of the saints was the mystery Babylon, the harlot church. And if you look at that, we can see that there are religious institutions. I'll be, I'll be kind with this. There are religious institutions today that claim to be Christian, that claim the name of God, and have sown damnable heresies into this world today, and it has corrupted Christendom. It has crept into all around the world, everywhere that Christ is preached, these doctrines of devils that have come about from this woman who has placed this leaven in the midst. If you haven't figured out who I'm talking about, it's false religions. Catholicism is one of them. Okay, And we see this coming in because they are teaching works for salvation. They are teaching that we are able to earn our salvation, that we are to worship Mary and worship the saints and worship anything and everything besides God alone. And it's teaching all these false ways in. And so I believe this may not be the specific one that it's referring to, but it's one of them. Okay? And so he warns that there is going to be an entity, there is going to be this woman that comes and spreads this leaven, this sinful doctrine throughout all of Christendom and is going to cause corruption. And no matter where you go in this world today, there is corruption that believers have to face when they're trying to live for God, when they're trying to be a witness in the world. There is corruption within religion that has creeped in and it is a barrier that we must overcome. It has permeated the entire thing. And if we're not careful, it permeates us and we start following after some of these false teachings. And we need to get back to the book. We need to get back to the word of God and make sure the things that we believe, the things that we are following, the things that we are teaching comes from the word of God and not the traditions of men. That it comes from the words of God, not the opinions of some theologian or someone else, but that it must come back to scripture. Yes, it's good to study some of the, the things that people have taught and that they have uh, spent their times, many men have spent lifetimes going through the Word of God and studying it and looking at it and, and uh, working to expound on the Scriptures, and we can glean from their understandings. But at the end of the day, we must see it in Scripture and not follow after the teachings and traditions and doctrines of men. And so Jesus has warned throughout these uh, parables that we find here. There's going to be, <clears throat> excuse me, there's going to be uh, counterfeits amongst the Christians. There's going to be profane preachers. There's going to be deadly doctrines that are coming. And as Christians being forewarned ahead of time, we are to take notice. We are to be paying attention. We are to be walking circumspectly so that we don't go following after false teachers, so that we're not accepting these false doctrines so that we are allowing these things to happen and so that we're making sure that we are a possessor and not just a professor. And so Jesus explains these parables to his uh, disciples and gives them a little bit more insight into it. And he gives them a few additional parables. And I, I want to get into those, and this will be our, uh, be our closing here. But the fourth thing that he has, he has two different parables that are very similar, verses 44, 45, and 46. He says, The kingdom of heaven is likened to a treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. 
And again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who when he hath found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. And so we find two different things here of great value in which someone has given everything that they have in order to obtain, okay? And there are some that would try to take these things and they would they would preach or they would teach that Christ is the pearl. He is more valuable than anything. And so give up everything that you have. Be willing to give your all for him so that you may obtain him. The only problem with that is that's not what the parable is teaching. Okay? Because we do not purchase Christ we do not purchase our salvation. The Bible clearly says that salvation is a free gift that we receive of him. Who is it that purchased it? It was Christ. We're looking at the kingdom of, of God. We're looking at the kingdom of heaven here. And Christ purchased that kingdom, that treasure, that pearl with his own blood. He bankrupted heaven. He gave his all. He paid the price for us. That's what he has done for us. So we might get caught up or tied up in all of these things that are corrupt and all these things that are false and everything else. But what we need to do is get our eyes off of that and get our eyes upon the one who loved us so much that he gave all. And not only that, look at how reassuring this is. What is Jesus's opinion of us? What does he think of us? A lot of times we think, oh, we're just, we're just horrible. We're just awful. There's a famous hymn that said, Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die? Would he devote that righteous head for such a worm as I? Right? Are you familiar with that song? Mm -hmm. And now I'm not bashing the song, because in the grand scheme of things, he is everything and we are nothing. But in Christ's eyes, I'm not a worm. In Christ's eyes, I'm not a worm. I am a pearl of great price. I am a treasure in a field that he was willing to give everything, to shed all his blood, to leave the splendors of heaven, to purchase me. I am not worthy of his life, but he gave it anyway. I'm not worthy of the price that he paid, but he was willing to give his all to purchase me me. And so as we see this treasure that's bought out of a field, uh, if you want to go into it just a little bit further, I'll throw this out there. The field, the, the, it's typified with Israel. They are a people of land, a people of promise. The Gentiles are seen as a sea. The pearls brought out of the sea. The treasures brought out of the field. Both of them were important in God's eyes. Both of them were valuable. And Jesus was willing to give his all to bring about those treasures into his kingdom, to collect them unto himself. And so that's what he thinks of us. And that's not something for us to get prodded up over, for us to say, hey, look at me, look at what Jesus thinks of me. It is something that should humble us, that knowing all of our faults, all of our failures, all our limitations, all of our inabilities, that God was willing to pay such a high price for someone like you and me. That whenever I look at myself, I don't see anything worth saving. Whenever I look at myself, I see a wretch. I see a worm. When God looks at me, he says, I am willing to pay the price for that one. I see a treasure. I see a pearl. And I desire to obtain them, to set them in my kingdom. 
We are accepted in the beloved. He's going to prepare a place for us. He's going to come again, receive us unto himself, that where he is, there we may be also. And so as we look at the sin and the corruption, even in that which calls itself Christian today, we can be disgusted, but it's only temporary. He's got a plan. He's got a timeline. He's got everything sorted out. And whenever it comes time, he's going to take care of all. He's going to sort the wheat from the tares. He's going to sort out the false from the true. He's going to shake the birds out of his tree, if you will. He's going to purge the leaven from the lump. He's going to take care of all of these things in due time. Until then, we need to abide in him, he and us. We need to realize that we are treasured and treasure him. Yes, whenever we realize what a price he has paid, we should be willing to give all for him, but as a result of what he has given us not to obtain it, okay? And so the very last one here is the parable of the sordid seafood. There is a net that is let down and it's taking in all manner of fish and all kinds of, maybe a boot or two, I don't know, a couple extra tires. Because if you ever go fishing, you cast the net, you're not in control of what that net brings in. And so the kingdom of heaven is like that net. And as it's going through the sea of this world, it is accumulating a catch, but not everything that enters into that net is a keeper. And so whenever that net is full, whenever time comes to an end, whenever Jesus says it has went far enough, he is going to pull that net up on his boat. He's going to pull that net into shore, however it is. And it says that he's going to sit down with his angels and they are going to cast away that which is bad and keep that which is good, not by our works, but by the fact that we have placed our faith and trust in him. Okay. And so at the end of the age, he is going to sort everything out. And if you can just get that, just get that phrase in your mind, if you can just get that through to your heart, you look at everything that's going on, God is going to sort it out. I don't have to figure it all out. I don't have to determine it. I don't have to figure out this one from that one and fix all the problems. We joke around a lot of times and we, we sit around after church and we fellowship and we solve the world's problems. We joke around about that, right? Giving our opinions and our thoughts on different things. We don't have to sort everything out. God has already foreseen all of these things. He has valued us. He's paid a price for us. He has prepared a place for us. And in the end, he's going to sort it all out. He's going to draw us to himself. He's going to keep us as his peculiar treasure, as his precious pearl. And all of these things that are corrupt and wicked and false and deceitful are going to be destroyed. And that is God's prerogative. That is his plan. That is his kingdom because he is the king. He is God and we are not. And so as we go through this world, we observe all these things going on. Take note, God said it was going to happen. Don't fall a victim to these fallacies and these falsehoods that's coming about because God warned of them. Be aware of who he is. Be knowledgeable in his word. Don't be caught off guard by the fakes. Don't be discouraged by that which is wicked. And wait until the one who values you, the one who is ruling and reigning, comes and sets all things right. And we will forever dwell with him. And that is a great blessing to each and every one of us. If we are his, if we are one who has accepted him as our Lord and Savior. And so in closing, our final thoughts on this, make sure that you are a wheat and not a tear. Make sure that you have come to him 
by grace through faith, that you're not trusting in your religion, your good works, your church membership, or anything else, but make sure that you are trusting in his shed blood to forgive your sins, to save your soul, to secure you for eternity, to prepare you that place in heaven. Make sure your faith and trust is in him alone and nothing else. Make sure that you're a wheat and not a tear. And after you know that you are a wheat and not a tear, concentrate on being fruitful. Don't be distracted by all the tears. Concentrate on being fruitful. Don't get carried away by the birds and don't get corrupted by the leaven. In the last thought that we looked at, Jesus values you greatly. He will dig you out of the field. He will drag you out of the sea. He will buy you out of the market because he loves you and he is willing to pay that price for you and make you his peculiar treasure forever. You can trust what God's doing. You can trust him as the king of the kingdom. So make sure you are his. Make sure that you are looking to him and make sure you don't get distracted along the way. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your many blessings, and we do thank you for this time that we've had in your word. And I just pray that it's been a help, it's been an encouragement. Lord, as these parables draw such a, a vivid picture for us to realize the, the conditions of the kingdom and all these different things that's going to be mixed in. And we're so thankful, Lord, that we don't have to figure it all out. We don't have to sort it out. But, Lord, we have a King of kings and a Lord of lords that's more than capable of watching over it, of bringing it all together, and of sorting it all out in the end. And, Lord, we look forward to that day that uh, that you have purged out the leaven, that you have uh, taken away all these things, and that we can dwell with you forever. But until then, help us keep our eyes on you. Help us to focus on producing fruit. And I pray if there's one here today that don't know you as their Savior, that this very morning, that they would call upon you and put their faith and trust in you as their Savior today, that they would confess their sins and confess their faith and trust in you as their Savior. We thank you so much for all that you do and all you're going to do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.